from the William Hill Sportsbook at Silver 7's Hotel and Casino, it's Cofield and Company. Silver 7's on a Thursday afternoon. Adam Hill, Adam Candy, Company Takeover, Steve Cofield, lazing around, doing nothing. Got the A-team with Adam and Ari and Candy. Great guests coming up later on today. A lot of NFL and college football talk. We got some shade being thrown at the Raiders' parking plans from just across the freeway. That's going to be fun to talk about. But first, let's find out what's trending. It's Trending at 3, presented by Nova Home Loans. Call now at 877-700-NOVA. All right, Adam, this is one of those things where people the next morning will always say, Oh, yeah, yeah, I watched the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, I was, I, yeah, I stayed up for all of it. All 16 innings of the Dodgers and Padres last night. Yeah, I watched, I watched the whole thing. I will be honest and say I picked it up around the 12th um, and followed it through to the end from there, and it was fantastic. But uh, did you watch any of this, or did you watch the whole thing? You know what? I'm actually disappointed in myself uh, and everyone around me. I was working on some stuff last night, uh, trying to get some stuff done, and I saw on Twitter, and we've talked about this before, that oftentimes like your viewing habits are kind of dictated by Twitter in terms of I'm just on there all the time, and if people start talking about something, I'm like, oh, i got to turn this on. And I went and turned it on, and uh, I, didn't, I didn't get through much of it. I wish I would have. I, I love these kind of games. I'm, you know, I know people are like, oh, it's so late. It goes on so long. I love anything that goes deep into the night, and I was, I was pretty excited, but I didn't watch enough of it. Fair though, fair. You saw, you did the same thing I did. You saw some social media chatter uh, popped up in a group text for me. I'm like, all right, yeah, okay, all right, I'll, I'll get in. Uh, and it was glorious. Like I went to walk the dog at like 10:30, put it on the radio. Uh, it was still going when I got back, and so I put on the Padres broadcast to listen to Don Orsillo. Uh, Rob Manfred needs to step all the way off with a game like this. Like this is exactly what he's trying to kill with his fake runners and extra innings. This was wonderful. These, these are the kinds of baseball games you remember. I don't remember the ghost runner that took 15 minutes when we did one inning. I remember that we played into the 16th inning. I remember that Fernando Tatis hit a two-run homer when the game looked like it was over and made everybody groan. They're like, oh, God, there's more of it. But it was wonderful. And uh, shout-out, by the way, to anybody who uh, might have bet under eight on oh. this game last night. It was 1-0 in the eighth, one- right? Huh? It was 1-0 in the 8th, I think. 1-0 in the 8th, 1-1. 1-1 all the way into the 15th inning. And you ended up pushing on 8. My God, I, I mean, and congrats. if you. I mean, if you had the over, God bless. Yeah. I don't know how you got there. I mean, don't ever complain about a bad beat again. <laughs> and roll that money over on a different bet. I, I, I don't, You said you didn't watch enough. I didn't watch enough of it. I didn't watch the whole thing, certainly. Like, how did they go so many innings with nobody scoring? And then all of a sudden, two score, and then two score in the bottom. It's crazy. But, like, the the 10th to the 14th, what was going on? Well, here's – let me give you an even better one, Adam. The Padres didn't have a hit after the fifth inning until the Tatis home run. Oh, boy. They went 10 innings without a hit, and somehow we're still in this game. And it was wonderful. I would live all of it again. I went to bed at, like, one – and which for me is on the later side, and I was thrilled about it. So, uh, Rob Manfred, I hope you hated every single second 
of what was going on there. And, and Adam, while we're yelling about things, I'm already yelling about things. It's four <laughs> minutes into the show and sure. I'm yelling about things. Um, I, I want to yell at Steve Stricker, the captain of the U.S. Ryder Cup team. Okay. Um, he apparently is out here trying to broker peace when what we want is a fight. We want Bryson DeChambeau and Brooks Kemka to take the feud that they've had going for months directly onto the course, and we want them to hash this thing out like men. And instead, Steve Stricker is saying he's got them on the same page. He had individual conversations with Bryson and with Brooks, and apparently they're all in for the good of the country, for the good of the team, but not for the good of any of us watching. No, I mean, obviously we want them to battle. I would definitely like them to be partners on rounds and just hate each other and go after each other. That would be perfect. Uh, from a man, from a national pride standpoint, though, is it, is it is it better? Like to at least because nobody thinks this is permanent, right? This is hey, can you guys get along for the week? Which that's th- pretty those much never, it. Yeah. yeah, those never work though. No, God, no. It's no. I mean, you might as well be trying to go on vacation with your ex girlfriend, like doubles dating or something like that. Like, oh no, we're friends now. Yeah, you're friends till the first time you see him kissing that guy. And this is- the other thing about uh, Bryson DeChambeau is that I think he would make a perfect heel. What we could do is we could have DeChambeau start out on the American team, but the name DeChambeau sounds perfectly French. And so why don't we send him over to the European team? He could, like, rip one of his schmedium shirts off and have the Euro flag under it, right? Like, he could switch mid-round. Wow, that'd be great. Just leave, right? like... He goes like classic wrestling heel, yes, and like beats up the referee. I, he he switch it like he's partnered with Brooks, and it looks like they're gonna win up to like the fifteenth hole, and then all of a sudden Kepka is like mid backswing, and Bryson does something real subtle like, <clears throat> and starts out real small, right, real small, and he turns around. Brooks turns around like what, and then Bryson. Got the Kangol, and he's got the Euro shirt under it, and he turns around, and all of a sudden it's three on one. And can't win. I, I, I actually, I actually almost like it better. The thought of them playing like alternate ball, and you know, Kepke, you know, hits his approach shot right on the green, and then DeChambeau just walks up there. And he's like, "Oh, my turn to putt," and then just drives it back the wrong way. Yes, yes, and he's, he's got to do it with one of those like Happy Gilmore walk up and swings just for effect. That would be awesome. That would be a much better look. I love the Ryder Cup, don't get me wrong, but this to me would make a much better Ryder Cup. Steve Stricker said they assured me that the team and the country and everything else that goes into this is their top priority. They said it's not going to be an issue, and I believe them. I trust them. As far as I'm concerned, it's been put to bed. Well, as far as we're concerned, why don't you take it right the hell out of bed? Listen, uh, Pompeo's deal with the Taliban lasted a little over a year. Like, I think this is less. I think this goes less. Like, that was a horrific deal that was never going to last. This is even worse. Oh, yes. I, I, I'm actually here for anything that compares Bryson DeChambeau to the Taliban. I'm totally down with that. It's fine. Uh, we also, I don't know if Brooks is vaccinated or not, but we really could have, a, like, a Bryson vax. Like, could he, could he try to subtly breathe heavily onto Brooks and see if he can... Maybe give him a little bit of that extra COVID that he's still got left over. I don't know. Bryson's just such a perfect villain. I love all of it. <laughs> he's the worst. All right, well, I would say we'll get back to more of this later, but we would just go so far off the rails that uh, I don't think Cofield let either of us work again. Last day this isn't of... This a Dustin Johnson of, story. God. <laughs> Last day of official Raiders training camp. 
here today. Uh, Greg Olson talked. Gus Bradley talked a little bit there. Carr did his weekly avail. Uh, Adam, what, what was notable out of uh, our last day of Raiders camp today? I mean, last day of camp, that is that is the big news to me. Like, for the, a lot of people, are, you're, you're not going to even notice uh, that today they train change from training camp mode to season mode tomorrow. Uh, it's big for us media people that we don't get to watch practice anymore starting tomorrow, but that was uh, the big thing. We you know today we heard from coordinators, uh, Gus Bradley, Greg Olson. I think the, the most interesting thing to me, and you know, maybe I'm a, I'm a nerd that cares about the end of the roster more than you know anything they said about the guys that we know are going to be playing, but uh, they said there's some tough decisions at wide receiver and offensive line, uh, and of course linebacker because it's such a, a cluster right now, but um, I think having interesting decisions at wide receiver is intriguing to me because I was going through and doing my projected roster, which uh, I have to actually run tomorrow, and uh, I'm a little bit freaking out because it's before the last preseason game, so I think there's a lot still to be decided, but um, wide receiver is actually one I didn't really have much issue with. Uh, I had issues at a lot of other positions. Wide receiver's tricky, or it's not tricky to me, and they said it was, so I think that's fascinating. All right, so let's get to it. I mean, we know who the sure things are when it comes to Ruggs and Edwards and Renfro and Sneed and Ross. Um, I should say Brown, my apologies. Uh, but beyond that, what what do you think is clear for the Raiders in terms of who they keep at the backside? Well, so, so it's interesting. I saw some people today saying, well, if there's interesting decisions to be made, does that mean that somebody you just mentioned is not a sure thing? Like, is... John Brown not a sure thing to make the team because to me like I I think it depends how many you're going to keep I think they keep six wide receivers so you know obviously I think Ruggs and Edwards from last year's draft along with Hunter Renfro has been great are definitely in Um, I would think that John Brown was in um, I, you know, I think they invested him. I think they have a role for him in playing that Nelson Aguilar type role. Um, I can't imagine the way that this camp has gone and the way that the, everybody has raved about him and the way that he's played just in front of all of us every single day that Zay Jones is going anywhere. So, I, you know, I think Zay Jones would be in. Um, and then, you know, if you're, if you're looking at uh, doing six, I mean, it would be, you know, those guys um, – but was that, did I skip over somebody that was obvious? Because, you know, it's the... No, no, you hit him. You, you hit yeah. him. I mean, you know, I, I, unless we're going to... You want to talk Keelan Doss? No, I'm kidding. Well, uh, I think he's uh, gone. I think I he's know, definitely I know. I know. I'm just talking about... We've spent so many years talking about the end of the roster and guys like Aitman and Ke- Keelan Doss. <laughs> right. my, point, my point in saying that is if we're talking about John Brown, if we're talking about a guy who was good enough to be the number three or four in Buffalo's offense last year who possibly wouldn't be able to get in on this offense, that would be fairly shocking to me. I would think we'd have to be talking about some combination of Sneed and uh, and Zay Jones, right? Right. So Ruggs, Edwards, Renfro in for sure, right? I would think Zay Jones is in. And I thought that Willie Sneed and John Brown, if you have six, that's six right there. I mean, you've got Keelan Dosh, you've got DJ Turner, you've got Dylan Stoner. Um, I think those guys are all gone. I think they're going to probably try to be interested in bringing them back on the practice squad. But to me, there's six guys, and they've traditionally, John Gruden has traditionally kept six. So to me, that seemed like pretty easy. Now, that statement of, hey, the wide receiver position has been, you know, a tough one for us, that came from Greg Olson, the coordinator, to me means either one of those veteran guys is getting beat out, and they just, you know, one of those young guys, like a Doss or a Turner. Turner's been a pretty impactful special teams guy. 
uh, although he's dropped a bunch of punts, so that's kind of surprising. But do you keep DJ Turner because of special teams and cut either Sneed or John Brown? I mean, that's possible. But to me, those six guys, Sneed, Jones, Brown, Ruggs, Edwards, Renfro, that's six, and that's what you keep. I- I'm kind of surprised that they're talking about being uh, a tough decision there. Well, there's some more interesting decisions and positions that you just mentioned there, Adam. <laughs> By the way, how, about how nerdy is it of us? <laughs> the wide receiver group, who's oh, yeah. the sixth guy? <laughs> yeah. that. But, uh, hey, when it comes to this team and the injuries that we've seen and the fact that some of these guys have actually gotten real time over the course of the last couple of years, I- I'll be a nerd. I'll-, I'll be an even bigger nerd talking about it. That's fine. Oh, and, and You, and you want me to go? to get to. Yeah, you want me to go super nerdy. Maybe we'll, we'll get into it a little deeper. Uh, you would be, uh, you. I think you would be okay with it because I think you're a little nerdy too. Not, I don't, I'm not trying to take a shot. I think no, no, a that's a like I'm, uh, I think people would be, I don't know, annoyed or mocking or something. The amount of time that I invested on my own, looking back at some tape and deciding whether to keep uh, Nick Martin or Jimmy Morrissey. I love the fact that <laughs> you have those two names front of your mind right here right now adam's not the only one though uh we've got some interesting thoughts from cbs sports on their raiders stock watch with some guys they think are up some guys they think are down is the number four overall pick from three years ago really on the way out on the way down we're gonna talk about that when we come back here on cofield company Nova Home Loans brings you Trending at 3. It's a refi rate at Nova Home Loans. With interest rates at all-time lows, now's the time to talk to your local Nova loan officer. 877-700-NOVA. I just like the energy on our sideline. Our young people have, have gotten better and found a way to win two football games, no matter what the stakes are. Now, back to the William Hill Sportsbook Inside Silver 7s with Cofield and Company. Who would have thought, Adam Hill, that John Gruden, the guy with the reputation in Tampa Bay where no rookie could ever find the field, would be talking about how much he loves the young guys with one of the youngest rosters in all of the National Football League. Cofield and Company on a Thursday afternoon. Get down to Silver 7s. Adam Hill is down there. Um, rumors, can't confirm this yet, rumors that he might have a backpack for you. Um, I can't tell you whether or not he's willing to share it, but there could be a backpack involved if you go see Adam Hill uh, down at Silver 7. It's not a guarantee. Uh, candy in for Cofield as we continue making our way through all of the nitty-gritty of the Raiders roster. Adam's projection will be in the RJ tomorrow cbs sports did a little stock watch and i don't think a lot of it was surprising i wasn't uh, too blown away by what we were talking about here in terms of who is at the top and who is at the bottom with the exception of one name so their stock watch said guys who are trending up coming out of training camp include trayvon merrick hunter renfro foster moreau okay well one of those guys was drafted with the intention of him becoming a starter. One of those guys uh, is better than Jalen Ramsey, just ask him. And one of them is the tight end who finally gets to show out without Jason Witten in front of him, so that's not surprising. Um, the stock down, Nevin Lawson, okay, Hobbs has been one of the great stories of camp, uh, along with Jalen Richard, who um, 
Jones having all of his theories on vaccines tested out here uh, with the time that he's missed during training camp. But then the last one was Cleveland Furl. And we've heard plenty, Adam, about how Cleveland Furl is going to get his snaps. He's going to see time, some on the inside, some rotating on the outside. But the chatter that you keep reading is essentially that, yeah, he's a second teamer and they're going to have to figure out how to get him on the field. So, so what's your sense? Is that correct to say that Cleveland Furl's stock is down? Well, considering I, I, I don't believe this, but I know there was a report out of the Bay Area yesterday that uh, Cleveland Furl will be released. Um, I don't believe it, but it does tell you, like, the fact that enough people believe that yesterday kind of tells you, like, okay, there, there's definitely something to the fact that his stock is down. Um, I, I, in this terms of stock up and stock down thing, like I think the one that they absolutely kind of got right was uh, Foster Moreau, who I thought has had an unbelievable camp, and you know that's one that's kind of not out on a limb, but it's a little more like under the radar. Like, oh, okay, the backup tight end is having a great camp. Yeah, he is, and there's no real path to be a starter, uh, but he's he's playing really well, and I think he's going to have a role in the red zone. The other ones, as you said, Merrick and Renfro, like yeah, no no kidding. Um, but yeah, on the stock down, like. All those, like, they all make sense. Jalen Deschard, as you said, has not really been playing, and the the depth running backs have been awesome. Like, that's stock down for sure. I mean, I, there's, I think it's pretty clear that he's borderline on the roster at this point, um, and that's when he gets healthy. I did see him zipping around on a cart that looked really cool today, so I was Ooh. jealous of that. Uh, Nevin Lawson, uh, he'll start the season suspended for, like, the eighth straight year, um, and <laughs> Nate Hobbs has been awesome. So, so yeah, that's stock down. But Cleveland Furl... Yes, stock down in terms of, hey, you're a former number four overall pick. Uh, you're in your third season, and you're not going to be a starter. Like, that's stock down for sure. But I, I think there's an, a clear role. And I actually think he, he might be better this year than he's been in the past in that role just because he's going to be more situational, as everyone is. I think if you listen to Gus Bradley talk, every time he's spoken about his philosophies – it's that he wants to play a lot of guys on the defensive line. Um, he, he believes, first of all, that it's very important to get a rush out of the defensive line because he doesn't, you know, that's part of the whole defense is to make sure you get pressure up front using just the defensive line. Uh, and then you mix in some, you know, some exotic blitz here and there. But really, you're, you're counting on the line to get to the quarterback. It's a, it's a very key function uh, of this defense. And he says the key to doing that is not wearing guys out, letting fresh guys rotate in often, and having fresh bodies going against those tired offensive linemen, uh, and different styles. So one of the things he said today was, yeah, we love the role that Furl can play, either rushing from inside or outside, and one of the things that does is open up where if you're an offensive tackle, you know, usually you're studying the guy that's going to be lined up across from you most of the week, and then you're t- taking a look at the other guys too because, you know, you could bl- be blocking anybody, but you're really studying that guy that's going against you. Well, if you're preparing and you're an offensive tackle and you're like, all right, so this week I'm going to have to block, uh, you know, Yannick Ngakwe. Uh, Max Crosby is going to switch over to that side some, so I'll have to study his moves. Oh, also Cleveland Furl is going to be rushing from the inside and the outside uh, on, you know, 30 40% of the reps. Uh, and then you've also got potentially Carl Nassib, uh, who, by the way, that report yesterday also said he was getting cut, uh, which that's more possible, although the cap hit is kind of ugly, so I don't know that they would do it. Um, but you, you've got those four really different style rushers coming at you in waves. That's the plan. So, yeah, his stock is down and he's is in a different role, but I think it might be a better role. If Max Crosby had been drafted in the first round and Cleland Furl had been drafted on the second day, 
then we wouldn't be having any of this discussion, right? I mean, not that Cleveland Farrell was ever going to be a second-day pick. He was a first-round yeah. consensus guy, just not nearly as high as he ended up going. But we're giving this deference in a lot of ways to Cleveland Farrell as we'll give it a shot. Let's try this role. Let's try that role. Because of the fact that he was drafted fourth overall, there's no way around that. And, you know, whether it's Cleveland Farrell or whether it's Damon Arnett or, or any or Jonathan Abram or any of the other defensive first-round picks, Adam, that the Raiders have made uh, a lot of this ends up now being on Gus Bradley a lot of this ends up being on you were the guy that John Gruden brought in here to replace Paul Gunther to try to get more out of the talent that you believe is on this roster then a lot of folks uh, around the league don't necessarily agree with you but that's Gus Bradley's job is to get more out of it and it's just interesting to me that you know maybe that role ends up being reduced maybe that is where he thinks that uh, the most talent can be gotten sure. out of Cleveland Farrell now all of that is true I'm not I'm not fighting back I'm just gonna make a kind of a different point here and it might be hot take season Cleveland Furl has been better than Max Crosby in these last two years and you're not going too hot takey there not for me not at all not at all not at all. And look at the grades. Look at the grades and look at the fact that of Max Crosby's sacks, which are the sexy stat, sure. seven of those stats came against seven of those sacks came against Jacksonville and Cincinnati, two of the worst offensive lines that you've seen in separate years. So yeah. I'm not also, against you. I'm just saying I don't know that either one of them has been that great. That's true. And also, Adam, you're better against the run than Max Crosby is. Uh, look, I can set a good wide base. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Uh, but... I, I weigh like 165, 170 pounds. They're going to blow right through me, dude. Okay, like, that's fair. Is that well, still better? Because Max Crosby is going to be running upfield trying to get the quarterback, yeah. and he's going to be 10 yards past the play. Yeah. So maybe just me being on the ground as a bundle of arms and legs will make it harder for someone to run over me. Yeah, it's like it's a, just a, like a toss right, and he's still trying to get to the quarterback. Like, bro, go – Stop the run! Like no, um, no, no, no. We actually are. No, this play is a running play. Trust me. No, <laughs> look, look, they already threw him the ball. No, they're not doing a flea flicker ten yards to the outside. No, you're right. I mean, if you look at the look, the, the Pro Football Focus grade last year for Cleveland Furl was not all that bad. In part because of the rush defense, um, Max Crosby again has the sexier stats, has more pressures, but that's also on more uh, more snaps. So uh, Sam Monson for Pro Football Focus <laughs> rated the Raiders defense. He did five distinct tiers of defenses in the league. Where did he rank the Raiders? Uh, about where you might expect. And we're going to talk to Sam Monson for PFF here on the other side on Cofield and Company. Cofield and Company will be back in minutes right here on ESPN Las Vegas. If you're a good player in the NFL, they'll find a way to keep you. Versus if you're a bad one, they'll find a way to cut you, whether it's about a vaccine or standing in the Brock Parker spot or around a quarterback. Hanging at the William Hill Sportsbook inside Silver Sevens, it's Cofield and Company. Company takeover here on a Thursday afternoon. Adam Candy, Adam Hill, Ari back at our Finley Toyota Studios. Mr. Hill at the Silver Sevens. For our road show here today, talking about the Raiders' defense before the break. Lead NFL analyst from Pro Football Focus, Sam Monson, joins us. Find him on Twitter at PFF underscore Sam, one of the hosts of the PFF NFL podcast. If you're not catching that uh, with Steve Palazzolo, uh, you're missing out on some great analysis, uh, not only weekly, but of course they have a daily version of the podcast as well. 
Sam, what's up? Uh, are you are you keeping up here with the with the deluge of the NFL two weeks out from the season? Yeah, we're uh, we're ramping up now. Get actual things are starting to happen. It's getting exciting. Ready for football. Super cool. Uh, we were talking about the Raiders defense a moment ago. You did a ranking of uh, the basically five distinct tiers of defenses. Uh, unsurprisingly to, to Adam and to me, the Raiders in the bottom of those tiers. Uh, I, I guess first, why do you believe that they're in that? And do you believe that the change to Gus Bradley as the defensive coordinator can improve upon that state? I think it can probably improve upon it. Um, I, I don't know how far it can improve upon it because I think a, a big part of what we're looking at is, is just a, a lack of talent across the board or, or swinging and missing when they've tried to add talent to, to the roster. You know, when you trade away a guy like Khalil Mack, um, it's not necessarily a terrible idea. He can bring an incredible trade bounty back, but you need to make the most of those picks in order for you to plug up the kind of loss of you know one of the best players in the NFL. And when you look at what the Raiders have had at that position in particular, since they moved on from Khalil Mack, they just haven't been able to replicate or even platoon together the kind of players that can replace what Mack brought to the table. You know, when you look last year at the volume of pressure they had, they had one guy who had more than 31 total pressures in a season. And that's, a, that's not a high total. Um, Khalil Mack by himself you know, has a ton more than that in any given year so between adding guys like Cleveland Farrell um, like uh, Damon Arnett you know, the guys they've thrown high draft picks at to try and uh, come in and make significant moves on this defense they just haven't had the impact So how difficult is it when you're you know, judging a defense or trying to analyze a defense going into a season to figure out not only all the new pieces and, and the guys that the Raiders have brought in, but also scenarios like, hey, Jonathan Abram couldn't cover anybody last year, so now they're just not going to have him cover anybody and play in the box. Like, that's going to be tough to kind of analyze where a defense is right now. Yeah, it is, but, but things like that are, are sort of major red flag in and of themselves. You know, <laughs> yeah. when you're identifying players that just can't do specific things and you're trying to change roles and try and find a, a niche or a niche within the defense of something they can do well um, without exposing them to the things that they do badly, it's just not a good starting point. You know, when, when that's what you're trying to do to sort of mitigate problems in a defense, particularly from guys that were high draft picks and supposed to be coming in and making a material positive difference to the defense, it, it's just a tough spot. Now, it, it's not necessarily the wrong thing to be doing because, you know, obviously finding out the, or putting guys in the best position to succeed is significantly better than just hanging them out to dry, doing things that they're not good at. But it, it is a concern. I think it does kind of highlight just where we are with the Raiders' defense. Sam Monson from Pro Football Focus joining us here on Cofield & Company. With the switch to Gus Bradley, who obviously had his most success with the Legion of Boom uh, in Seattle, but obviously far short of the, the Legion of Boom talent here in Las Vegas, what can fans expect to see that looks different from the defense from what they saw from Paul Gunther? Yeah, obviously anybody coming from that Seattle sort of coaching tree, they're all very heavily um, slanted towards cover one, cover three, those single high safety looks um, with cornerbacks kind of playing off coverage, dropping off into, into deep zones and a lot of zone coverage across the board. Uh, the one kind of concern is that that defense – it was 
I guess, in vogue for a while, everybody trying to copy the Legion of Boom and the Seahawks defense. But over the last few years, teams have been pivoting away from that scheme and sort of embracing, you know, the Vic Fangio, Brandon Staley side of things with, you know, more cover or more split safety looks, more cover two, four, six, those kinds of things. Um, and the teams that have been trying to run the Seattle scheme, they've struggled to find the personnel to make it work, including Seattle. You know, once they lost all the original members of the Legion of Boom, they haven't really been able to replace them. And that defense has been on the decline um, because they don't have the personnel to plug in and, and make that system work. So I think there's a real discussion about how good was that system and how much did they just stumble upon the perfect personnel set for that group to be dominant. So, you know, we talk about the Raiders needing to improve on defense. The offense was pretty good last year. We don't think it's going to be much worse. There's some difference on the offensive line uh, that they're going to have to work out a little bit. But offense should be good. Uh, how much better does the defense have to be than it was last year when it was atrocious for them to compete for second place in the AFC West? Yeah, not much better. They, they really don't. I mean, in today's NFL, defense, a, a large part of it, I think, is unless you can create one of those defenses that is – transcendent and so good that they can carry a team regardless of how good the offense is and that's extremely hard to do these days unless you're going to have a defense like that you don't need a great defense you just need to not be a complete and total liability Um, so if they just get back to being average even below average it would be a massive step in the right direction and if the offense does continue where it was last season if Henry Ruggs can step in and replace what Nelson Aguilar was, was bringing to the table last year um, and, and those kinds of things, then, yeah, th- this team can definitely challenge for that second place. Yeah, I know you guys on the podcast talk about creeping back toward average often. It would take a, a few creeps for this defense to get back to that average, but obviously it would be a big step in the right direction. Uh, one defense that we expect to be very good in the division is the Denver Broncos. They choose Teddy Bridgewater over Drew Locke uh, at quarterback uh, do you think that this sets the floor higher but limits the ceiling on what the Broncos can get out of the quarterback position? Yeah, absolutely. I think it, it, it narrows the range of outcomes that they're going to have at that spot um, and, and what the team is going to have overall. I think it sort of narrows the band of wins and losses that that Denver team is going to be looking at this season and puts them somewhere in the middle of a pack, whether it's the higher end of the sort of 6-7 win team or the, or sorry, the lower end of the 6-7 win team or the higher end, which is a wild-card-chasing spot competing for that second place in the division. But I think it eliminates you know, the truly terrible seasons that were definitely possible. And it probably eliminates the potential for this team to really challenge. You know, I don't know how big a likelihood that ever was with Drew Locke, but I think the potential is at least there for him to take a big step forward and, and hit heights that I don't think Teddy Bridgewater is capable of anymore. So... It feels like a conservative middle of the road, you know, a hedge of let's just get good enough at quarterback and hope that everything else can carry it. Where where are you as we get closer to the year? I know I've heard a, a lot of talk, and I'm I'm a uh, PFF devotee for sure. Uh, a lot of talk about some of Justin Herbert's numbers from last year, maybe not being completely. Uh, sustainable in the sense of like he was so good against pressure and that doesn't usually hold up from year over year so uh, as we get closer to the season where are you on Justin Herbert and and how good 
can he be this year and going forward? He's a really interesting case study this year because, like you said, he was amazing as a rookie at almost all of the things that are completely unsustainable, that just fluctuate year to year, where pressure is one of them, um, play on third downs. There were all kinds of things that he was incredible at that just typically don't replicate year to year. Um, but he's going to go into year two in a better situation. That offensive line should be dramatically improved. So even if he's worse under pressure, he should be under less pressure, and it might be a net win overall for him in the sophomore season. Similarly, you know, he wasn't great at the stuff that is much more stable, the quote-unquote easier stuff, you know, playing from a clean pocket, all those kinds of things. And if he takes a step forward in that area in year two, it might offset any regression that we see in the unstable stuff. So, I honestly, I don't think anybody knows yet where that's going to net out and whether we're going to see a slight regression from Justin Herbert because of those factors or whether the development that you expect to see from him just getting a year older and a year more comfortable in the NFL and in the system, whether that sort of counteracts all of the negative and all of the regression that's going to be working on him and the fact that he now has a much better offensive line. Um, I, I think ultimately my hunch is he will take a small step forward. Size one that some people are saying. You know, some people are putting Justin Herbert in the category of, you know, phenomenal quarterback already, one of the league's best. And if we factor in a year of growth this season, he's going to be up there challenging for the very best quarterback spots in the NFL. I don't think we're going to see him take that kind of leap just because I think there are so many of those things kind of dragging him back down in terms of regression. Sam, as we uh, look forward to not only the playing of football, but the betting on the playing of football here in Las Vegas, uh, you mentioned uh, Staley and that tree of defenses, one of the new head coaches, of course, in the NFL, in, in Brandon Staley. Uh, We're always trying to figure out the effect of what the new head coaches will do to those teams, sort of like how Anthony Lynn and his lack of clock management made him a pretty easy fade. Uh, from the betting perspective, uh, how do you expect the new head coaches coming into the NFL to be able to take their situations and uh, work with them immediately? I mean, I think Staley is a great example of one where that group of personnel on defense for the Chargers has been kind of crying out for just a you know really good coaching hand to come in and put it all together and make it function the way it should. And the Chargers have been everybody's preseason darling for years and they keep letting it down but if brandon staley can bring a touch of the magic that he brought to that rams defense last year to the chargers there's so much talent on that defense whether it's um you know guys like bosa whether it's uh, draft picks like asante samuel derwin james if he can stay healthy last year's uh, you know one of his last year's high picks kenneth murray there is so much talent on that defense that he could easily piece together what is a really, really good unit paired with that Justin Herbert-led offense. And that's why I think a lot of people are rightly hyping up the Chargers again this year, although this year I think they have a shot of actually kind of justifying the hype. Um, I think Robert Sala as well is bringing a very good, proven system to New York, but as much as he's going to move the needle, nothing will move the needle like hitting on Zach Wilson. You know, if he is as good as he looks like he is going to be, based off preseason, based off his college tape, that that fixes a lot of ills with uh, You know, look incredible right out of the gate. 
So, I mean, it's it's we're coming coming up to week one right now. If Patrick Mahomes plays seventeen games for the Chiefs, the division is clinched in week one, right? Yeah, I mean, it would be very difficult for any other team in that division to beat the Chiefs if Mahomes is playing 17 games. Well, you can check out all of the great work uh, at Pro Football Focus going to their podcasts where Sam and Steve Palazzolo do the uh, PFF NFL pod at uh, PFF underscore Sam on Twitter. Greatly appreciate the time, Sam. We'll talk to you down the road. Thanks, guys. Take it easy. All right, well, that's not the most exciting thing that's going to happen in this segment that we talk about going on in the Legion Stadium, Adam, because right now we've got tickets to give away. The Vegas Kickoff Classic, Saturday, September 4th, BYU against the University of Arizona. It's at Allegiant Stadium. You can go to lvbull.com for tickets. You need to get on the phone right now. Right now. I'll tell you what caller. In just a moment, but get on the phone right now to Ari, caller number 11. Well, Ari, I was going to say 11 anyway, and that, wow, 364-1100, Call and get those Las Vegas Classic tickets right now. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. There's league rules and there's my rules. They ain't going anywhere. We're on the same as last year. I don't give a crap if they're vaccinated or not. They ain't going anywhere. Live from the William Hill Sportsbook at Silver 7's Hotel and Casino, it's Cofield and Company. You probably know the voice of Bruce Arians, head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers by now. The same guy who told everyone when they saw that Washington was bringing in a vaccine expert and said, are you going to do the same? And Bruce said, I'm the expert. Come talk to me. Uh, you win the Super Bowl, you probably get a little leeway uh, when it comes to all these things. Cofield and Company here on Thursday afternoon. Adam's Family Edition, Adam Hill, Silver Sevens, Adam Candy, Ari back at the Finley Toyota Studios. Uh, I, I really hoped, Adam, when we were dealing with vaccines and their rollouts at the beginning of the year that by the time we got to this point of 2021 we would not be talking about the effects of covid and vaccines on any athletics and uh i was wrong <laughs> I, I was 130 percent wrong uh here we are we are still we are still doing this uh the nfl by the way a uh, piece of news that came out earlier today 93% of players are vaccinated. 99% of coaches and staff are vaccinated. The medical staff said that the incidence of COVID cases that have been reported, 68 of them uh, from within the NFL, the rate of incidence is seven times higher among the unvaccinated than among the vaccinated. Ryan Tannehill, quarterback of the Titans, was one of those who is vaccinated who went into the COVID protocol uh, here today. Adam, of course, at the college level, it gets a lot more complicated uh, when we have state universities and we have state governments and we have mandates that can and can't be made. Uh, Brian Harson, the former Boise State coach, made his move to Auburn. I've been clear on these airwaves and others that I thought Brian Harson got out while the getting was good because uh, his star was about to fall at Boise State with the way they had played 
over the last couple of years. And, Adam, it's going just about as well as I thought it would uh, so far <laughs> at Auburn. Brian Harson tested positive for COVID-19 last week. He is still in isolation. He told reporters Wednesday he's not anti-vaccination. Let me be clear. I'm not anti-vaccine. Any narrative along those lines is misinformed. I fully support the choice for anyone to vaccinate, and I also support getting reliable data-driven information into the hands of those who still have questions about the vaccine. Anyone who's been in our facility knows that. However, Brian Harson has still not said whether he was vaccinated or not. Uh, I am going to find it very difficult to bet on college football this year, Adam when we could be finding out at God knows whatever point of any given week who's going to have coaches, players, anybody available. Yeah, I would agree. Um, I think last year I took the approach of not betting games until they were starting. Uh, And even sometimes, you know, resorting, not resorting, but preferring to just bet in-game in a lot of spots. And I don't don't really see that much of a problem. The only time you're really screwed in that regard is if, you know, you want to bet a team and they jump out to like a 14 nothing lead in the first three minutes. And you're like, okay, uh, now I have no chance here. But um, you can wait till the game starts and see who's on the field and see who's able to play. And then, you know, make a bet when it's still 0-0, you know, a minute into the game. Um, that that still works. And I think that's, that's definitely going to be one of the approaches I take in college. I think in the NFL, you get a little bit of better clarity a few hours before kickoff. Uh, but in college last year, we were having, you know, games were starting and like, oh, by the way, the entire offense is out. Like, wait, what? Like, what happened? So I think that's probably the, the best approach is to be very cautious. No, certainly a safer approach. And I think you can add to that that um, we know much more about the second and third string in the NFL than we do in college. And even the information that we're getting from the NFL is more reliable information. I mean, NFL coaches are not always 100% forthright, but they don't straight out lie the way college coaches do. <laughs> and the college coaches know that there is very little in the way of repercussions. And uh, this whole Brian Harson experiment feels like it, it is just not going to get off to a, a great start. Uh, Boise State, by the way, they won the Fiesta Bowl under Harson his first year with all of Chris Peterson's players. And that was the last notable bowl win that this team had, because I'm not going to give you winning the Las Vegas Bowl as a big damn deal when you're Boise State and you're wow, supposed a, to be national What a slap ranked. in the face to our wonderful bowl game. Our partners, our wonderful partners, they produce a great event. Boise State should have high aspirations. Uh, what do you think? Uh, do you th- By the way, think- while we're doing this, go back and listen yes. to our wonderful interview yesterday with John Sassenti. We joined us for 45 please minutes. Please do. Because, please do because John Sassenti's a good dude. Uh, He's great. Brian Harson at Auburn. Yeah. Good luck, Auburn. <laughs> okay, we could probably let's probably could just leave it right there. That's it's probably a, a, that's probably way, a pretty any, solid evaluation. Anytime you you get into the, you know, the answer that he gave, and you just read it, but le- like when you're incredibly vague about the situation, we don't have to say we don't know whether he is or not anymore. But those people are not. Nobody that's vaccinated is going out there like, well, you know, it's a personal decision, but you know, like no. When you only say that when you're not, and Anybody? also hold on, I also sorry, I want to say this to be clear because I had this in in a personal experience and I was livid. If you are not, and this is like I'm serious about this, and I sorry if this is not socially acceptable. If you are not vaccinated and you go out with in a group of people, you sure as hell better say when you arrive. Oh, by the way, I'm not vaccinated. 
that is on you as a person. Because I, I will say I was at a no, I was at a little outing like six people, and I thought everybody was, and and I was under that impression. And at some point, somebody said, "Well, I'm not getting that sh- that shot." I stood up and I left. Like, and that's how most people should act around the people that won't get the shot. Because I've said, "Fine, don't get it. You don't have to get it. I don't want to force anybody to get it." But stay the hell home, and especially don't go around people. Above and beyond anything you just said. <laughs> The fact that that person didn't feel the need to share it with anybody in the group. Yeah. That's the part that gets me. Yeah. Like, you, you theoretically are my friend, or at least a friend of a friend. Friend of a friend. I, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sure. Oh, yeah. Uh, thank you. I, I like how you draw that line there. Oh, no, 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 no. That wouldn't be my friend. That's that person's friend. But I hear you. Like, that, that's just straight up irresponsible. Like, you want to be... You want to be irresponsible, uh, you know, in whatever way you choose to be irresponsible. It's fine when it doesn't affect anybody else. But the fact that you're showing up to a group like that and not telling anybody, uh, yeah, not feeling, not feeling terribly confident about that. Not feeling terribly confident about Brian Harson's chances at Auburn. Um, again, he really did jump ship at just the right time at Boise State. They got embarrassed. They got shown last year by uh, San Jose State at the end of the season and uh, you know a good luck to Andy Avalos up at Boise State it's a program that's built itself into a hell of a power but uh, Brian Harson certainly caught that last vine that I think he could have caught out of Boise Idaho we'll go back up to the northwest here in just a moment as we continue our CNC countdown to NFL kickoff up in Seattle a little Seahawks talk here on Cofield Company have something to say? Tweet at Steve Cofield or call 702-364-1100 now. 